0: Alright, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NAA boys here Trung Fan, Me Master Flex himself, Jack Butcher, and we've got a special guest today, Nick Majuli. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Nick, what is, in your life, what is the percentage of people pronouncing your last name wrong? And when did you stop caring?
2: Uh, I, just, I stopped caring when I was like probably six. I've heard McGillicuddy, like there's no C in my last name. I don't know how that got in there. Uh, it's all sorts of stuff. All sort. I just don't, I don't, I try to, you know, hey, correct people where I can and then just not care anymore. So. Well, you'll,
1: you'll have a good laugh because my uh, my name that everybody pronounces, like everybody in the show, they call me Trung. So the Vietnamese pronunciation mm-hmm. is Trung. I had Mm. no idea until I moved to Vietnam until I was 25. (laughs) You've been saying that wrong your whole My entire life, up until 25, my parents didn't even correct me. I was saying my name the white man's way, like the Americanized (laughs) way. And then people started calling me Chum in Vietnam. I'm like, hey, sure, whatever, man, whatever you guys want to call me. But uh, uh, Jack and Bilal here are from England. So they know, like there's a very popular phrase,
0: me, Julie, is from the Ali G show. (laughs) That's yeah. I, yeah. Nick, did you ever watch the allergy show or watch yes, the movie? Yeah, I've
2: seen, I've seen the allergy show. I never saw that joke, but I've seen the leg show. Yeah, Mid- yeah, he's Mid- I mean a character. Yeah, it was it,
0: there was a whole song. I think he didn't he do a song like Shaggy or something. It was like yeah. 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 All right, yeah, don't get me started on that. All right, so Nick, I've got to do the proper intro for you. So you're the COO of Rit, uh, Ritz Holtz Wealth Management. Sounds very official. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have also been writing for the last few years on the blog of dollarsanddata.com. You've been really, really mm-hmm. consistent there. Every week been posting there. We, we'll talk years, a little bit bro. about that, that's yep. mad. Uh, and you've got a book that's just come out or coming out called Just Keep Buying Yo, Trump fan thank has it yes, through it. I read at least 10 percent of it, which is
1: more than most books.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so is there anything I missed out on that, Nick? No, that's great, that's perfect, yeah. so and you're you're living in New York too, so uh we'll eventually have to link up in person. But look, man, we're going to talk about the book in a second, but there's only one place to start in true n i fashion. Elon Musk is joining the board of Twitter. And he's just bought 9% of Twitter. And we got a kick off with Meme in a Week. <laughs> Trunk, over to All you. Right. Bro, so
1: I use this app called Pixelmatic. I just paid $25 for it. And it is the greatest Photoshop ever, ever uh, app ever. You put a picture and there's a button called Magic. It just cuts the figure that you want out. So for the the, the listeners here, I uh, put a Twitter's uh, next board meeting, and, and uh, this is my first official meme of the week here. So I'm very proud of that. Uh, this one's got 19,000 likes. It's a picture of Wario Elon in a in a board meeting, and uh, that was yesterday before he actually joined the board today. So the joke's on us, I guess. The joke's not on him.
3: <laughs> Crystal ball trying to Let it be noted that Trang liked his own tweet on that uh, show. (laughs) (laughs)
1: 18,800 wasn't enough. (laughs) I'm always the first one. I got to get the ball rolling, man. Because you know, like uh, the the psychological joke where nobody wants to be the first one, but if somebody, the first, it's like when you go to a tip jar, right? There's always a dollar in the tip jar and the the coffee (laughs) shop puts it in there. So like psychologically, you're like, oh, somebody else has done it. It's cool if I do it. I don't Know if that's like the Ron, rules, you thought but...
0: this through. You yeah, thought this bro. through. Come this on, is bro. like the Costco pricing strategies. The TV at the front <laughs> well, value dude, let's, pricing.
1: Let's get right into it with our special guest, Nick. What was your reaction when you saw the ticker that Elon Musk had purchased 9.2 percent of Twitter? Break it down for think- us.
2: I think it's genius. I think it's genius. I think it it because he's. I mean, if you think about this, here's I actually have a hot take related to that later. Okay. Pete, now that he's on, I didn't know he was going to join the board. I was not predicting that. So you guys were a little ahead of the curve there. But I think it's genius because like he's he's becoming such a cultural force that like he already was that, and he's so prevalent on Twitter that this only adds to that even more, right? Why? And so people are saying, oh, now that he's on the board, he's going to make more free speech. He's going to bring Donald Trump back. I think there's no chance he brings Trump back because why would he's now the king of Twitter? Why would king, he bring yes. back a competitor? Why would he bring back a competitor? There's no incentive for him to bring Trump back. Trump <laughs> is not coming back on Twitter. He is out.
1: That's my take there. So I love this hot take. That's a that's a spicy take right off the bat. The, the running joke we have here is we're going to get demonetized before we get monetized. So that might actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Jack and Bilal, we need your hot takes before I freaking go on a rant because I got a lot of material here.
0: I mean, I don't want to jump ahead in case you had this trunk, but I was just cracking up at the edit button question. He was, <laughs> I mean, he was straight on it, man. I mean, he's been, he's already king of Twitter, obviously. So I don't know, what what is he now? Because he was already king of Twitter. Now he's 10% owner on the board. He's, he's elevated now. Well, he's unbannable yeah, kind of now, probably.
1: Unband? Well, you guys missed the. I mean, some people missed the joke here. When he put the poll, do you want an edit button? He misspelled the word yes and the word no. Right? So, for our listeners, he spelled yes y s e and then no o n. I mean, there are layers to that joke, man. That is like a that is like an onion of a joke. Do Elon does
0: all of these himself?
1: I'm full. I've, somebody asked me this, so this is my theory on Elon, and I love for your guys' opinion. We talked about how powerful this seed is. He's the most powerful person on Twitter, which de facto makes him one of the most powerful people in the world, apart from the fact that he's already the richest dude, right? Twitter as a platform is the go-to communications thing for politicians, media, tech. So like the, the engines of the world, right? Donald Trump between 2016, 2020 was the most powerful voice in the world because of Twitter. So you think Donald Trump was giving that up to anybody? You think like one of his like uh, press secretaries was touching his phone? There's no chance. So that's my opinion on Elon. It's like, Elon knows it's the most powerful interface in the world on a smartphone. Why would he let an intern run that account? That was my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, Some of the crazy stuff that's been tweeted out there, there's no chance an intern's like, hey, I have an idea for a tweet. Like, let me run it up to Elon. Only Elon is coming up with that shit. That's my opinion on if he has a a, a Twitter team. On to you, Nick. Thoughts.
2: I agree. I think he probably does it himself. Just like, I think Trump does his own stuff as mm. well. Like, I think you have yeah. to kind of, that's like how he thinks. I mean, like a lot of the stuff he does, like, even though like he, you know, you find like, Oh, he puts a meme out that you've seen like three years ago or something. <laughs> it's like, why would like, no one, like no one would do that, but he does that and then it goes viral again. It's so, so funny, but yeah, I don't think he has a team at all doing it. Yeah. So. He was
1: uh, I mean that uh, to your point though, there's definitely, I, I believe there's people feeding him content but then he's mm-hmm. just like, the, it's like the group chat thing, right? Like we all have mm-hmm. group chats where it's just that he's the richest person in the world and has eighty <laughs> million Twitter followers.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: All right, so I could do this. I don't want to obviously spend too much time on this. Well, that's a lie. I do, but we have a special guest, so I can't do that. So well, I gonna... what do you guys think about that? I want to ask
2: about the edit button. Like, what do okay. you guys actually think? I think edit button's a terrible idea. I think it's okay, an absolutely terrible idea. Tell us why. Because, because you can't, I mean, you can't send a tweet out and then it goes viral, then you change all the content. Now people like something they didn't agree with. There's no way an edit button's going to work. Plus on a, da- I'm not even talking about the data infrastructure side of having to ed- make edits and stuff. I think it's a disaster from a business perspective it would just be annoying for like all the engineers to do that and then from like a, a I don't know a moral perspective like imagine I put something out there and a lot of people like it and then I change it later that's just not okay you
0: know so I think, I think, I think the delay to tweet a- makes sense yeah I think they're gonna have to have like a, a history of what was written though no because it that's what Facebook I, I,
1: does and LinkedIn. They both have history. Yeah, histories. and you click
0: in and you can see, oh, there was a spelling mistake or they changed something. But let's
1: be honest, no one's clicking that edit. Uh, yeah.
0: history. <laughs> yeah. It's like terms and conditions. I know. Yeah, like like the
2: main tweet could be wrong, and the first reply is like, oh, I'll, by the way, that was a joke. Like, how many people see that? Maybe that's a question, right? Like, there's always that. Like, the first, how many people see that? Look at the impressions on your first reply compared to the original tweet. And it's yeah. always like, not even a tenth, if that, you know, if the impression counts. Oh, so. like,
1: the, yeah, anytime there's a, incorrect tweet and then somebody puts a correction you're, you're right it's not even a tenth it's like one percent of the engagement right it's like it's yeah. like the fix is like seen by no one i uh so i'll <laughs> say this i agree with nick and my first instinct actually was like oh i want to edit but just because how many times i've messed up uh twitter but the former uh, uh security chief security officer at facebook uh, alex demos who writes extensively on uh, uh, on security now he wrote Today, he's like, like, edit buttons are terrible for exactly what Nick said. It's like the amount of information that on a super viral tweet that can just be changed afterwards is like, it's a huge problem. It's even a huge problem on Facebook, right? For a lot of these scams uh, that, that go on too. the super viral things started one way. Like I could write something that like this, uh, the meme that we did meme in the week and that should turn into like a pump and dump shortly after. But uh, the last thing I'll add on that was, I think the infrastructure reason was uh, the main reason Twitter didn't actually want to deal with it. Cause uh, I have no idea about the backend. I mean, Nick, you are a computer guy, Bilal, you work at Google. It sounds like a nightmare to fix uh, the edit stuff.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know much about it, but I know I just know just theoretically it would be difficult, right? Imagine like, okay, I send you one text. We have to make a change. That's just one change we have to make, right? And I have to do it right. times the number of characters, right? Number of change we have to make. Now, what if 15,000 people saw that and then how many people put it in their feeds and then in their likes? And then in their you have to number of databases you have to update is like massive, right? To make sure it's right or, or some people seeing the old tweets, some are seeing the new. Now, imagine the version control of that. That would just be crazy in itself, but yeah.
1: I like that. Well, the one here's one that uh, here's one that he's written about. I'll, I'll, my last uh, reference from him on fixing it. He in January was really annoyed when uh, people were allowed to put uh, their NFTs as Twitter profiles. He wrote, "This is annoying. <laughs> he hates this feature." Butcher, what do you think about this, Jack? The NFT as a profile picture. Is he gonna get? I've already it
3: said, in? "I think it's dumb." Super. <laughs> But the, but the edit button thing, I think he just like, it's just the meme, just ride that meme to accomplish yeah. other goals. Right. It, he knows it it's a nerve and that I think is like very indicative of how he uses Twitter. It's like find the, find the pressure point and exploit it. And then whatever he's actually planning on doing could be completely, you know, completely in a different direction. I agree. I don't think edit buttons is going to happen or should it. it just, there's a delete button. If you get it wrong, do it again.
0: 100%. Didn't they already post they're gonna do it though? No, it was or April Fools. Oh, yeah. Out, man. First rule. Talk on, about no. No. misinformation, man. No. No. Jesus Christ. Oh my right. god. It's one of yeah. the things
3: that makes Twitter great, I think, as well. It's like the like the stream of consciousness uh sort of vibe of it all right. is like you fire it off, you move on, you do another one. And it's not uh it's not like you're logging into the backend of WordPress and, you know, adjusting every, uh, and if you like, if you're worried about getting it wrong, just spend an extra 10 seconds. Like what, how, like, you know, what well, yeah, are we get, actually get catering blue. for here?
2: Get, get a right little blue. 30 second delay and read your tweet. I mean, if you're really that worried about it, like read your tweets, like they'll make you read them. So
1: I'm paying two ninety nine out of charity, man, because I, I I owe Twitter a lot as I think uh, we'll find out too. I think Nick, you have a similar sentiment. Well, I know a lot, a lot yeah. of your stuff comes from blogging, but Twitter definitely is a career uh, enhancer yeah, for
0: career stuff. Definitely. Yeah. like, can you imagine uh, all the, you know, the epic, Tweets that we would never have got if there was an edit button. Like all the exactly. Kanye tweets, yes. pretty much. <laughs> uh, That's fair. 95% of Trump's tweets, like the comedy fefe. gold in these. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. It's
1: like bowling
0: with the sides up.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, 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 the bumper rails. Baby lanes, yeah.
1: Well, I'll do this. So uh, I, I I will let us move on eventually. But I have let me run out my three <laughs> theories and you guys tell me. So there's the first one is a free speech thing uh, for why uh, Elon is invested 9.2%. So he's been throwing out polls over the last couple of weeks talking about is, uh, you know, open source Twitters. I'll go, is free speech a problem on Twitter? Of course, there are moderation issues. So some people think that is one reason. The other reason, uh, this comes from the Margins newsletter, really good newsletter. Ranjan Roy wrote it this morning. He believes that the SEC was about to throw uh, drop the hammer on musk over his november poll where he said should i sell my uh 10 of tesla to pay for taxes because kimball musk brother and board member uh sold 100 million worth of shares before that poll came out and people are think there's some insider trading going on apparently sec has been turning up the heat and according to margins that could have led to some type of action where elon was just finally just like we gotta get this guy off twitter so he's like you know what I'm going to 40 chest this move and I'm going to buy 9.2%. And then my pet theory, which I've talked about on this podcast, and you guys get to decide which is true, is that Elon believes that he lives in a simulation. He said this a number of times, and he's just the best player in the simulation. So those three theories, I'll put it to the floor. What do you guys think of those three theories? Which is most likely?
3: I'm going to take like a... over. To... Oh, Go are you a Jack. No, answer Trunks' question because I'm not going to answer the question, so uh, okay. I'm going off <laughs> yeah, on a so tangent.
2: I think this the second theory makes the most sense, which is like he was like, "Oh, they're going to kick him off of Twitter." Is like if I buy, I like, can't kick him I'm a board member now. Like I think that seems most likely. The simulation okay. thing, whatever that could happen, <laughs> and then the fir- yeah, first theory about the whole like oh, insider trading. Uh, I don't know if that's. I mean, I don't know. So I think that the most likely thing is like, he's like, maybe they'll try and kick me off Twitter. So like this cements my position on here to keep like literally this most valuable asset he has, which is his PR.
1: Absolutely. I like that. Of course I do. I like everything that is a pro-floated Jack.
3: So my theory is more about the like, securing the rails of consciousness or like the, you know, the fountain of memes, like where the like, the general consensus on what the world thinks is generated you could argue twitter's up there at the top of the stream so, and i think with neuralink and all of those things like yeah there's the meme argument there's but you have you also have to acknowledge the fact that this guy is building things um with a view to improving the human condition over time and i think like a lot of you know people think of social media as just like throwaway thing or this toy or, uh, something that isn't that consequential. And we've learned, especially in the last five, 10 years or so that it like really shapes the way people see the world, the way people interact with each other. And I think, uh, or, you know, I'm hopeful that a lot of the desire to be in a position to like direct a force like that comes from, uh, the desire to try and, prevent or at least stem some of the negative side effects that we've been seeing over the last five, 10, however many years, because it is like a alien life force, right? I think someone working on like how people think probably has a lot of uh, opinions on how to improve something like that, but remains to be seen. I think all of the like practical, tactical things also make sense, but those I think are uh, downstream from the fact that he deciding to use Twitter as a mouthpiece in the first place, I think comes from this, like uh he who controls the memes controls the universe, right? He uh tweeted
1: that. Well, he also however many set, months right? ago. He cares about human consciousness. Exactly. Like you said, Jack, he's like, I care. That's why Mars matters to him. He's like, we need a second planet. So we continue the likelihood of human consciousness. And like, Oh, this is the video I'll put the last one I'll do for the must, but like I've shown this video before, but he said that when he found out about the internet, he thought that it was the nervous system for the human brain for the world. Let me know if you guys can hear this.
3: Nope.
1: Oh yeah. I can hear it. All right. Well, well, he just says the internet when he found out about it uh, in the '90s was something that would create a nervous system for humanity. So th- that's how he thinks. Yeah, about yeah. It.
3: yeah, I think it's. I think we talked about this way back, where it's like he's building this network. It's like energy, internet with Starlink infrastructure with Tesla, and then um, Neuralink, obviously. And Twitter's like a L2 thing that plugs into all of this <laughs> other
0: stuff, right? I have to Recall. say, Jack, you calling it fountain of memes is my favorite phrase <laughs> in a long time. That's brilliant. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, nothing else to add. I think that, I, I'm think i just curious, what do you guys think Jack uh, Dorsey's feeling like right now? How do you feel like... Because I saw him post, like, congratulations to to Elon and uh, the CEO, of, what's it, is it? Uh, Parag, yeah. Um, and obviously he kind of has to write that, but I'm curious, what do you guys think He's actually feeling right now.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you what Jack Dorsey said about Elon Musk in 2019 for Rolling Stone. Uh, Rolling Stone asked him, uh, critics paint Elon Musk as ridiculous. This is Jack Dorsey's answer. He is ridiculous. You have to be. You have to be thinking that big. I love him. I love what he's trying to do. And I want to help in whatever way I can. So whether or not he's with Twitter, I think they are aligned. I think they there's some, man, there's some bromance going on between Jack and Elon, <laughs> man. Yeah. I think they're fully aligned here. And I think uh, I think Elon's actually going to help uh, smuggle in a lot of Jack's ideas that like he just, Jack had just ran his course, right? Because Jack wants to create these uh decentralized uh, 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 social network protocols. They, Blue Sky is the name of the initiative that Pareg Agarwal actually used to run. So we'll see what happens. But I think uh, he's very supportive of it
0: nice um, yeah nothing else I, I think the only thing I'd say is yeah did you know how much of Jack Dorsey's wealth is in Twitter still it's not that much now right I think it's like 80-90% is square
1: yeah 89% is blocking and square and then his uh, his uh, uh, unconfirmed amount of Bitcoin and he's only ever said when it was asked he said I have enough <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: All right, so it's not necessarily going to impact him financially, though by this point, it doesn't really matter. It's more legacy and like, you know, he's a fan of Twitter. So if but I, I'm curious to think, like, if let's say Elon and these guys like reinvent Twitter and it's a huge success, like it's something that he couldn't do, really. I mean, like Twitter obviously started it and it's success because of him. But for years, it was kind of stagnant. Guys, I, I'd be curious I, hold on. I hate to cut you off
1: a loud, but live this only happens on oh. NIA. Jack Dorsey just replied to the exact tweet I put out and he says that he just said, what I said is still true about his boy Elon. He still loves Elon. No.
0: He Strong is, is so up. Still. True. Wow. All wow. right, oh this is we got an inside scoop. In on... He got in under wow,
2: hundred. <laughs> <laughs> he got in under a thousand. Wow, under a thousand likes. That's early. <laughs> <laughs> he got in on a Jack Dorsey
1: tweet. Under really, really like, oh. Early, man. <laughs> Yo, I'm done. Yo, good. man, Nick, man, great chat, bro. Talk <laughs> this guy.
2: Wow, I love it. You gave the
3: opinion and then just broke live. Wow, that's, yeah, that's incredible. things.
1: Oh my He's god. He's so hype.
3: Is that oh, your oh, Dorsey reply, Trun?
1: oh i got a couple bro i got a couple of Dorsey replies
0: trung's bringing up the the, the the screen share of the presentation he just happens to have it ready right now yeah. <laughs> it <to> it. <laughs> all right trung anything else on that before we move on to to nick's book and what he's been working on
1: let's give the floor to nick man i'm done bro i am completely shot right now
2: <laughs> absolutely crushed flawless victory as they say yeah, in the mortal yeah. Kombat scene so
0: all right trunk should we move on to uh nick's book or is there anything else boys You any more thoughts on twitter before you close that out
1: no i don't think you can top what just happened let's, let's <laughs> move we editor let's just <laughs> cut straight
0: ahead to the next part that editor
1: editor cut ahead
0: cut, yeah, let's editor, do cut the last two
1: minutes all right guys sorry about that all right so I'm holding here uh, Nick Majuli's book, uh, Just Keep Buying. First of all, a couple of things I want to point about this book. So for the listeners, I'll, I'll announce the, uh, the visuals here. You need to see who is shouting out Nick on the back of this book. Look at this. Oh, it's too bright. He's got Morgan Housel, who wrote The Psychology of Money, which I believe is one of the two best-selling books in the past decade. And the other guy that has the best-selling book in the past decade James Clear has a comment on the front. James Clear writes the ideal combination of thoughtful and actionable. That's like me on Twitter. So like me and Nick are similar <laughs> in that sense. So Nick, can we just start with uh, why did you write this book uh, and, uh, and how it came about from your background as a blogger? Because I know it's a big part of it.
2: Yeah. So I've been writing for four years at the time. And I, I knew that I, I kind of wanted to organize kind of my investment thoughts into philosophy. So a lot of writing a book is I think it's just structure, right? It's like, I had a lot of the content. So half of the content in the book came from old blog posts that I repurposed and my editor went over and we kind of crafted into a nice narrative. The hard part was figuring out the structure. And actually one of my other blog posts actually became the first chapter is basically what lays out the structure. There's two parts, saving, investing, and kind of talks about that. But I really wrote it because of COVID. Like March, 2020 happened. I was in New York City. I saw that first wave and then we flattened the curve temporarily i didn't really I was like oh guys it's over right <laughs> no it was not right then may you know memorial day came along second wave i'm like oh gosh yo!" and then, then that one flattened i'm like okay now it's over everyone else had to get it that's why i was stupid i was like okay i made my first error. now it's over right and then december 2020 which is that the biggest wave we had had up to that point in time and i was like Then I got super pessimistic. I was like, this thing's going to, we're going to be in this thing forever. So I was like, I need to use this time. I'm like, I've been writing enough. I was like, I have every weekend off for the next five months. And I basically took five and a half months every single weekend and just wrote. And I basically wrote it up, you know, and then obviously I had to go through the editing process, but that was it. So that's kind of how it came about. It came about because of COVID, but also because like, I was like, I think I have enough material now where I can organize it into something compelling.
1: How much of this book is original versus uh, readapting a lot of your older work?
2: I would say it's 50 50 at this point. Okay. So, and yeah. And read because the readaption, like I even talked to people who read a lot of my work and they're like, yeah, I think like 20 to 30% I'd seen before. And these are people like read a lot of my work. So if you don't even like most people have read one or two, maybe three of my posts at most, like, let alone, you know, the number of things I put in there. So I think most, for most people, it's going to be like 95% new, you know, maybe you'll recognize one thing in there if you like are a decent fan. So
1: I I was a fan before I even knew I was a fan. Like I've seen your articles float around all these years. And uh, so you've written uh, on your blog of Dollars and Data uh, that a lot of the writing, I mean, completely changed your life, right? Like, Mm -hmm. can you explain how much it changed your life? Like what you're doing professionally and how you ended up to where you are now and how much writing was involved in that?
2: Yes, I wrote once a week and I've been doing it for 288 weeks. Have never missed a week, or if I do, all maybe I'll post a second post in a week, and I won't post the week after. For example, one time uh, I had an uncle die, and so I kind of wrote a post for him earlier in the week, and then I didn't post something the next week. But basically, 288 weeks in a row, and. Completely changed my life. I almost look at it as like a form of public therapy, really. Like, I'm not not just in like, oh, yes, I'm writing about money and investing. That's great. And like, I like talking about that stuff. But at the same time, like I've written about my struggles with alcohol. I've written about regrets. I've written about imposter syndrome, all sorts of stuff that like just happened in my life. And I'll sprinkle those in now and then. And I kind of look at it as like, public therapy and i think it really can help people a lot and so just for me it's almost like a public diary and it just happens that some people tend to like it so um that's it's just been really helpful for my career and yes i used to be in consulting now i'm in you know finance and stuff but at the end of the day i think it's more just for like me just because i like i like doing it like that's the end of the day That's i enjoy doing it because i you know that's it so
1: is your job at richhold directly responsible from this the blog though
2: they found me through that but i'm really so the the role i have at ritholds is actually an operations role i'm not like the guy picking the stock you know picking like our investment funds or anything like that I, I i help with like the operations and data science part of it so that's really from like my prior role but they found me because of my blogging which is kind of a data heavy you know investment side so i think it's mostly like i'm doing the work related to my old role my old job but at the same time like you know i'm just writing because i i love it so
0: so you Nick, can- Go ahead I just ask one real quick quick. Did you write yeah. much before you started that blog? Did you write like when you're younger, even at college? I'm just curious cuz a lot of people, I mean you you're a really good writer and it seems like you've obviously, you know, probably improved so much writing every single week, but just curious like how you did you have any background in writing even just for yourself or anything like that? No, I
2: don't I actually used to hate writing to believe it or not, because I was always writing about what everyone else wanted me to write about. And that's Mm. kind of what I think is wrong with the education system, right? With writers, at least it's like, Hey, write me a 500 word or a thousand word essay on this random book you've never heard of. And you have to read like, it absolutely takes the joy out of writing. I'd rather say, you know, why don't you write me any length paper or whatever, write me any length of anything and just impress me. That I think is a better assignment because then someone can tell a story about something that happened to them and they can put details in there that can try and you know get you. And of course you get better over time. Like, go read my, you know, second or third blog post. It's terrible. Actually, don't read it. Actually, don't do that. So, like <laughs> I'm just saying, you get better. You do like you go read my second blog post. they're all in the archive. Go see and you're like, this actually hasn't that isn't that good? Like, I'm not like you can read it, but it's not, it's like it's legible, but it's not good, right? And so over time you just get better and Better and better. You read a lot, you learn from others. You know, I've obviously taken a lot from, you know, Jason Zweig, Morgan Housel, just from learning about how they write and and kind of understanding them, that it it helps me a lot as well. So, yeah, we
0: that's a great point about like for kids, like if you just told every kid, write like about a topic you're interested in whether that's like football or like your video games or whatever like we don't need fifty essays on to kill a mockingbird like you know what i mean yeah. like we've been doing <laughs> <Exactly>. that forever <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah sorry yeah. you're gonna say yo, something
1: you yo, 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 you need to put some respect on to kill a mockingbird
0: oh yeah, yeah. oh legendary legendary i <laughs> <laughs> only appreciate it as an adult but when i was 12 not not the book for me but yeah um Trunk, you about to say something. I want to
1: say this. I want to ask Jack. I'm like, Jack, I mean, uh, first of all, Nick, are you familiar with Jack's visualized value work? Of course. Of course. Whoa. I've seen it a lot. Of- how much? I mean, one of those, uh, the most Jack's, one of them, Jack's most famous pictures is like, there's a, a bar, the kind of bar chart is going up and up and up. But somebody like quits and mm-hmm. just says, this is pointless at this point. Yeah. But if you had just kept going, it's like, man, that's like Nick, right? Nick is like the perfect example of this.
2: Yeah, because I've actually I've actually grown very slowly. Like I barely like I've been doing this for five years. I barely have twenty thousand email subs. Like you go, there's a lot of people out there like that have blown up in the last year have fifty thousand, hundred thousand. 100,000. Yeah. I've been grinding this a lot longer than most people, and like because I wasn't as good, honestly, that's the truth. Like I've had to grind at it and just get better and better. And so it's one of those things where it is a longer compounding game for me, and it's not like about like oh I'm trying to and I don't do growth hacks and all that type of stuff. I just like put my posts out there and I'm like really I'm not a great marketer. I'm just like I write and that's it. And if it's good, people share that's the kind of my thinking on it right so
1: what was your first viral piece
2: as I, ironically actually my first piece that went that did really really well i wrote it five years ago and it was called just keep buying and it was actually the what became the intro eventually wow. to it's it's funny so my, my book was actually supposed to come out february uh i think 8th but because of the supply chain crisis they had to push it two months and i was like a little upset by that i didn't even think about it at the time they said oh, we're gonna come out april 12th i said okay cool And I didn't even think about it. I look back in my archives and five years to the day after I published you know when the books being published is when I published that first blog post, just keep buying. And it just shows That's like incredible, that became That's like it. literally the intro to the book. I mean, there's obviously I changed it a little bit and stuff. I can't put a gif in the in the books, obviously. So <laughs> I had to make some changes. But besides that, like, yeah, that became the intro. And so that core philosophy. I've been saying the same thing for five years, telling people not to buy the dip and people laughing. I mean, this and that. And you know, and the data, the data shows like, I mean, there's a lot of people like, Oh, I'm not gonna I remember 2017, everyone's like, Oh, the markets are too high. I'm gonna wait till the, then there's a dip. I'm like, okay, let's say you did that. You wait. Waited three years until March 2020. Now you got your dip. If you wait till the perfect day, March 23rd, 2020, the exact bottom, you perfectly call it. You save all your cash, you buy the dip then. Guess what? even if you had bought on that bottom, you still would have bought at prices 7% higher than if you had just bought way back in 2017. So, and obviously that's a very extreme example. No one's going to perfectly time the bottom or do any of that. But even if you did, a lot of times you end up buying higher than where you could have bought originally. So-
1: I, I love how Nick did that. It's like, let's say you did that. <laughs> 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 Wait, so Nick, I mean, you actually asked us, just to ask this. so the, this question actually isn't directly in this book or uh, mm-hmm. maybe I'm saying- so let's just ask it. You you touched on it, but tell us why you should not. Just break it down fully. Why you should buy the dip and what the real philosophy between for just keep buying is. It's like this dollar cost average philosophy, right? So what is that? Yeah, you Explain buy every philosophy.
2: buy every month, keep buying over time, and just don't worry about market timing. And it, it is explained a little bit in the book in like chapter thirteen and fourteen. It's kind of discussing chapter fourteen mostly, but. The main premise is like every time you're saving up cash to buy the dip, like you're assuming that there's going to be a dip that's below the current price, right? And the, the real problem is usually the market keeps going up, and then the dip happens, but then like that dip is higher than where you could have bought originally, and that's true like in eighty percent of cases over a lot of rolling periods, etc. Like I show the data in the book, but that's the, that's the main premise. That's the main reason why you shouldn't do it. And so there's all these people like, oh, I can't wait to do it, and I've I've written other blog posts on this why it's a bad idea, and for most of the time it doesn't work. And let's say you get it right. Let's say you okay, you know, you actually get it right one. So wow look, Nick's an idiot, I got it right. Okay. You got it right now, but it's going to burn you later because later you're going to be waiting for a dip that doesn't happen. You're going to be sitting in cash while I'm not sitting in cash. And that's where I'm going to beat you. You're going to win in the short run, but I'm going to win in the long run. Sort of source the hair out <laughs> here, man. We don't We
1: don't
0: blame, Let's we go. blame <laughs> Yo, I,
1: did, I have not seen this side of Nick. He's coming after people. I did not see this yet. But so Nick, is this similar than, uh, I didn't see it mentioned uh, in my 10% of reading your book. So apologies. <laughs> if, it's, if it's in the other 90% and I missed it, do you, yeah. uh, do you touch on the fact that again, what is it like 50% of market gains are on like 5% of the days is that is that one of the stats that is true or is that terrible urban legend that i'm perpetuating
2: no no that's I, I don't know i don't know the exact numbers there but yes a very small percentage of days account for most of the gains but that's not the i don't really cuz then you're trying to get into timing on specific days in and out and day trading and stuff and i don't recommend any of that but i don't think that's the issue really it's just like just if you're, if you're owning it over time, you're going to get most, you're going to get the market gains if they're there. Right. So that's like, if you're an investor, right, what's the point of investing in something because you think it's going to go up. So the pre- but the premise already is like the buy, the dip is already against the premise of investing in itself. Like, why are you even buying the thing in the first place? So it just, it doesn't make sense to me. And so I'm, I'm kind of get, I get a little heated about it because I'm just, it just seems so obvious to me now, like, especially after looking at the data, like the behavioral part in the data, it's like, it's crazy. So.
0: There's some people heated in the comments right now, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is NIA. So, um, but no, go on. Uh, that that makes a lot of sense, uh, Nick. So on 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 that though, is there? There's a lot of people that say a lot of this theory is based on, you know, like historical returns. And I guess you you would say, well, it's hundreds of years of data by this point, or hundred plus mm-hmm. or whatever. What what would you say to those people that say? we're at the end of an 80-year cycle or something like that right like i don't know enough about this stuff but like ray dalio's new book talks about these kind of like eight-year cycles and um like the fourth turning is another one that i've heard people talk a lot about and if that was the case that maybe we were changing the financial system completely which a lot of people might believe listening to this so if that was the case would buying forever, you know, for the next 30 years, buying, let's say, you know, low cost index funds or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. still be, a, still be relevant and work in a, in a scenario where things were more drastic? Well, I mean, I don't know
2: much about 80 year cycles, but I mean, how many data points do you have for that? theory of two. I mean, are going to run your entire analysis off two data points, right? I'm like, oh, I just, wow. I don't even like, oh yeah, we have, we have one and then we have two. And so look, we have one, like, it's like, come on, like two. And it's like, come on, even like, Nah, I'm not gonna even get into that. I'm jack. Like, I just sample size you, bro. Like, don't even like. We're not gonna even get there. So like, Yo, let's, yeah. let's kind of toss that one. Like, let's talk, Let's not even. No offense to that. Like, I'm just like, okay, what? Let's like, take what so we're in bro. a new paradigm. He's ready. Like, There's a new paradigm where like 80 years. I don't even understand that. Like, it offends me to even think about that because I can't even conceptualize it. Like, 80 years ago, what was happening? 80. I have to think. Okay, back to what? 20? Like 1960? Like, what's going on? No, before that even. What am I talking? Can we do math? You know, 1940 or something. It's like 80 years. Like that is just wild. Like, what was happening then? Okay, oh, so goodness. I guess.
0: To, to add more context what about meaning the counterpoints i'm trying i'm not saying i believe mm-hmm. this i'm just trying to yeah, give counterpoints to i i buy every month the same boring stuff right apart yeah. from a few crazy things that i do for fun um I, I guess the the other data point a lot of people look to is a devaluation of the dollar right so uh, so if we're looking at returns for the stock market let's say over a long period of time denominated in dollars of course, everything is up and to the right. Um, but in the last few years, we've had a, a huge increase in dollars printed and that sort of stuff. So I, I, I don't know if that's like even relevant here, but I'm curious if that's something you've come across and you've thought a lot about. Well, I mean, we,
2: we try to inflation adjust for all this stuff. Obviously, like in the, the most recent data, it's hard what is inflation really. I mean, there's there's debates made about this, but like people are saying like the inflation rate is like 15, 16%. That's yes, the real inflation rate. It makes no sense. You actually run the math on that, like, our g like it just wouldn't like we just not possible like our gdp would have to be so small in the past like it just if you just run it's just not possible i just don't want to explain it like i'm not an economist so i can't perfectly explain it to you but i've i've people a lot smarter than me have explained like you can't have a 16 inflation rate since 2000 like everything would like it just everything would not exist basically so i think so, blah's
1: um, dancing a bit here let me uh, let, let me sorry to cut you off there nick but i'm gonna mm-hmm. jump right into blah's asking mm-hmm. you what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Because that's a real question. <laughs> no, I'm
0: actually being Nice transition there. Yeah. No, 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 no,
1: blah. Because you're talking about you're blah. The point you're bringing up about like how much asset inflation is to this yeah. range that we're talking exactly. about. Right? Exactly, like, asset that's inflation. A, that's, that's the, the Michael phrase Saylor thinking argument. Is like if you're talking about goods and food and energy, yeah, 16, 20 percent, whatever. That is a little, a little bit unrealistic. But if you're talking about pure asset inflation, right? I think this is the Michael mm-hmm. Saylor argument. So I'm not, I'm going to butcher his argument, but his whole argument is that the printing of money has created this massive asset inflation. And when you look at the basket, what people actually want, you have to start thinking about assets, right? Because of deflation uh-huh. in technology and food and goods and your standard of living, a lot of costs have gone down. So where are you actually thinking about and what really matters to a lot of people? Is, uh, what assets can I get into? So that's two part question is, well, it's just one part Man, What are your thoughts about Bitcoin and his argument around asset inflation and why Bitcoin is such a superior, or as he calls it, the apex predator of the financial uh, universe? Trunks
0: I'll watched get, a few uh, yeah. twelve-hour sessions here, so. Oh
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get into Bitcoin in a second. I think, like, I'm, I'm very, like, I'm not a big holder. I say, don't hold cash. Right, the whole buying the dip. Things about holding cash. Like, I'm not, a am against cash, right? Generally, <laughs> okay. like, obviously for emergencies, that's one thing. Like for your own personal life, you need that for emergencies. Outside of that, don't hold cash. It does go to basically zero, and it, it does trend to zero. So you're saying, oh, there's all this asset inflation? Yeah. If you have been following, just keep buying. You would have benefited from that <laughs> asset inflation. Like, what do you? Like everyone's like, oh, the Fed's manipulating markets. I mean, like, so what? So, and then you're not buying? Like, you should be buying it. They're going to keep manipulating markets. Like, you should just stay. It's a, the, the big joke. I mean, the Joe Weisenthal joke is like, oh, so you're buying, right? You know that little meme with Padman. You know, it's like, so you're buying assets, right? You're buying stocks, oh, yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. like, no, we're not. We're going to bond. It's like what? It's like, oh, the Fed's manipulating everything. Yet you're not. You're like, you should take part of the manipulation. Own the stocks, right? Under, own the underlying, right? But in terms of Bitcoin, I have nothing against Bitcoin. I own some Bitcoin. i about half a Bitcoin. Um, I've owned it for a while. I. Keep I, my rules are very simple. I keep a t- about a two to three percent allocation in I think Bitcoin and crypto and, and Ethereum. I oh, hold death. that, and when the price goes up, I rebalance it out, and when the price goes down enough, I will rebalance in. And so I generally I don't do it. I don't follow it too religiously, but I'll just like follow it over time. Like at one point, it was two percent. It got up to like eight percent of my portfolio, so I had to sell some off. It triggered some people. That happens, um, and now and the price has come down just a little bit since. It's basically at where I sold it. And you know, that's it. I mean, I don't, I don't have a big long thing. It's just, it's not income producing. So of course this could be the thing that takes over the world and maybe sailors, right? I don't know, but I I think everyone should hold just a little, you know, so for your risk tolerance, I have a little just in case, right? So that's my, I hedge, I hedge that stuff. So I'm not anti-Bitcoin at all. I actually like it. As a private asset, like a private wallet idea, I like, I love that idea actually. Separately, so I love having this. Oh, I can, I have this portable bank, I can take with me. I only use twenty four words, and I can go anywhere in the world, and I have my money. That's that's a great idea. I I'd love it for that. So,
1: somebody on this chat right here has a slightly different risk appetite than you, Nick. <laughs> no, I didn't
3: understand that. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Jack looks guilty.
3: <laughs> no, I definitely, I de- yeah, yeah, but I but I subscribe to Nick's philosophy in a in a different proportion uh, <laughs> yeah. and I think just as you're, as you're talking about it, the idea that like innovation gets incorporated into the vehicles that you're buying into like, that's really the only point that I ever needed to be convinced of. It's like there are all these geniuses in the world that are building things that are eventually going to turn into public companies. Do you want to own a piece of that or not? Mm-hmm. Yes. The answer is yes. And I think one of the things that I spend more of my time thinking about is like investing as like wealth preservation and long-term planning versus like income production. And that's like uh, these books and these ideas are for people at different stages of life and apply in different levels of severity. And my, um, I guess my, the weighting of my portfolio was manipulated purely by the way I made money, not the way I chose to, to allocate money. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Well, you're being assets. paid in ETH, right? Yeah. Right. Right. So that, that really manipulated what I held. And so, you know, some of that we balanced out. And uh, I think this argument for 99% of people is the, like the exact right thing you should be doing. And, and, the idea of chasing assets as like a form of income is, is, you know, the data has proven over and over and over again, how many day traders, uh, I mean, on every single transaction, there's a loser. (laughs) What, what, what is the likelihood that you have more information than, you know, the 90% of people who have been doing this for a living or do it for a living or have a thousand times the resources you do. The chances are pretty low that you're going to be, those guys. So I think it's uh, like, I think this book, I think psychology of money completely changed my like perception around, um, you know, getting too distracted by the things that you know, investing as wealth preservation and like wealth building over a long time frame is, is, uh, I think can't really even be compared to some of the schools of thought that are trying to attack it. Right. Which is like, you have to become a top 1% trader in a market where you have no edge, Mm -hmm. it's a crazy, uh, it's a crazy thing to pursue and spend your time on. And I, the other half of this conversation where we've talked about building a skill and like consistently putting stuff out into the world and using the internet as a platform to like build opportunity for yourself, then, you know, filter some of that income into vehicles that are a little less, uh, risky perhaps is, uh, am I'm all on board with that despite if you saw, you know, on on paper, what well, uh, uh, I'm currently representing in the financial <laughs> world, I've, 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 Nick, I gotta say, I took some risk off uh, earlier in the year. There's, oh, uh, good, great! Clicks I to bricks. About
2: the, I told you that. Clicks to bricks. I think it's chapter 18. When well, you know, when should you sell? It's called just keep buying, but our moments to sell. And when I say de-risk. You know, you're on get into maybe you're getting into let's say physical real estate or you're trying to maybe you're going to put some of your money in stocks or something that's completely fine so i think everyone does it differently and i don't think there's a right way to get rich and so i i happen to do this and i use equity indones because it's simple and easy for me i mean jack given your professions you know you sell nfts you're getting paid in ethereum like it's going to be very different for you and you're gonna have to trade out of that right it's just like i get paid in cash and most of us get paid in usd right so if you're getting paid mostly in usd i'm getting out of that as quickly as i can and getting that into a different asset right so in your case, you're using ETH to maybe buy a different asset or, or just hold the ETH or whatever you do with it or at stake it. Who knows what you do, right? So there's a lot of things you can do with it. So I think that's the key. It's like you're not just sitting in fiat, in your fiat, whatever your fiat
3: is forever. So
1: I think you might have yeah, to rewrite that chapter. You want exposure to the,
3: the genius of peop- other people. I think that's like a really, uh, that, that's the helpful frame for me when I first even understood the concept of a market. It's like, am I going to do a better job at like accelerating value creation than Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or whoever else. Like, yeah, I like to bet on myself, but let's be honest here. Right. There's a people that are a few steps ahead of you and you could get some exposure to the things they're building. And it just is, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to really imagine outside of like pure Armageddon why you wouldn't incorporate this strategy in some way. And if it's pure Armageddon, then everybody's strategy goes to shit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, then exactly. we've got bigger problems to worry about. Uh, Jack, I was right. just going to add one thing t- to what you said that kind of uh, landed with me as well, which is like at different stages, you 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 know, like investing is something everyone should learn about if they can and should focus on. But especially early in your career, when you don't have a large portfolio, if you've got two thousand dollars in savings your seven percent return is only going to be a slight increase of that uh, each year right so at that stage of your career in my opinion you need to really focus on learning skills that you can increase from two thousand to ten to hundred to whatever and that time spent is way more you know uh, valuable spent on up leveling and basically increasing that stack if that's your objective, anyway, but then it yeah, does that's, get to a that's chapter. Yeah. Oh,
2: sorry. Oh, okay. no, no, Keep no. Going. Go, go, sorry, go thought, for it. Okay. Yeah that's chapter one of the book savings for the poor and investing for the rich i make that it's- exact point i said when i was 23 i was like obsessed over my investment returns i had a thousand dollars to my name right so like even if i got a 10 percent return that's 100 bucks i was going exactly. out with my friends in san francisco <laughs> yeah. dinner drinks shots uber the hundred bucks is gone right so you're exactly right like you have two thousand dollars name who gives a crap what you're buying unless you got lucky and bought some nft that went up ten thousand percent it doesn't really matter and that those are those days might be long gone so yeah i agree yeah. with you completely
0: well, completely yeah Yeah, but no, that was it. And I just even thinking from a mathematical point of view, like a return on investment, like the time you're spending working in a job or doing freelance work or doing something on the side, like if you literally put that in a percentage term, it's way more than 7% a lot of the time. It's 50%, 100%. And yeah, yeah, I think that took me a little bit of time. But then there does get to a point, and I'm curious to get your take, Nick, because you've studied this and you've gone through it with yourself and your job is related to this, is at what stage does basically looking after your, you know, putting more diligence and time into uh, your portfolio, let's say, um, become more worthwhile. And for example, I was speaking to a friend last week and uh, I can't say the amount or whatever, but he's got to a certain size where he's saying the amount of money that his portfolio is going up and down in a day is sometimes more than, you know, his month's salary or even way more than that, right? And um, so I'm curious, like is there a point where it becomes more important or is it just keep keep buying don't worry about it take the psychology out of it all from your point of view anyway oh no, i so i i
2: address it. this is chapter one this is actually the entire that idea is the core idea behind like kind of the structure of the entire book and so i say savings for the poor investments for the rich but i can tell you how to do it we can just do it right now yeah, so every yeah. one of us has two numbers and i just need two numbers for you right you don't have to give me your number just, just think about it in your head right First number is how much could you save in the next year, right? And obviously, we do this in USD. So, Jack, you're going to, have to do some sort of like a conversion here. So How much divide could you save in the next year? <laughs> yeah, divide by yeah. how much could you save in the next year, right? And the second number is how much can your investments return you in the next year? So let's say I'll do some simple numbers. Let's say you could say 500 bucks a month times 12 months. That's $6,000, right? Okay. Um, let's say that's, so that's your first number. Your second number, say so you had 20 grand invested. You got a 5%. Let's say you think you're going to get a 5% annual return. That's $1,000. So which one's bigger? The 6,000. What that means is you need to focus more on the bigger number, and that thing, savings. So you need to focus more on saving money, getting it invested so you can raise this number. So what Bilal was talking about is his friend is at a point now where this has come up so much that the daily or the monthly fluctuations, he could not, That I'm assuming he or she, whoever, could not save their way out of the fluctuations. So you can, uh, the simplest example is, imagine someone with 10 million bucks, right? 10% decline in the market, which is very normal, um, that's a million dollars. So if you just save a million bucks in a year, you have to have a very good year, or you have to have very high income. Most people can't save a million dollars after tax in a year, so you can see, as this number gets bigger and bigger, the investment number, you have to put more and more focus on where, you know, on that number. So just compare those two numbers. That's all you got to do. Just compare the numbers. And the more, the the more one number goes up, the more focus. And I'd say I'm at the point where I have to look at both. And so I think most people like, you know, middle-aged people and everything, they're going to have to look at both of those numbers, right? Early on when you are young, just focus your career and slowly transition. And by the time you're retired and let's say you have less income coming in, you're only looking at your investments because you can't really add to the pile anymore. So I think that's the simple, and that's yeah, the that's framework a great that kind of lays out the that, whole man. book, and and where you pick where to read in the book, it's that's it. It's like, oh, you can not you can work on investing, jump to these sections. Oh, not work on saving here. So that's the that's the whole idea there.
0: So love it,
1: Nick. You do not buy individual stocks, or you you say not to do it, or if you do it, it's only for leisure. Have you? What was, <laughs> oh, what was only, the Only only
2: only if you're Elon. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Only <sorry about that. laughs> if
1: you're Elon before you buy. Yeah, 9, was gonna, I was going to go into that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> only for leisure. Yes, yeah. so we keep going. What was the last? What.
1: Well, the question was, what was the last individual stock you own? And do you legit only buy index now?
2: So I do own two individual stocks. They are less okay. than 1% of my net worth, and they were at the time when I bought them. So I only Stay do it, it for up. fun. I Stay do it, it with some up. friends. Um, you, want, you want to know the two? Okay, the big I'm not Ramir. trying to pump my bags. I'm just, for the disclosure, I am not trying to pump my bags. <laughs> this one the is podcast
0: is it. <laughs> called Not Investment Advice, so we're we coming. Okay, this is Not
2: Investment Advice. So the first one's called Matterport. They do like, the they. I don't know if you remember, you guys saw like, when people are trying to do like a 3d modeling space, you have these, these special cameras. Yeah. They, this one, you can just take your iPhone, take pictures and they have software that basically maps it all out just from like your, your phone, I guess. So so I was like, Oh, that's really cool. Got into it, wrote it from 15 to 32. Now it's down to like eight or something. So it went, it was a crazy ride, right? The other one I got into was very, Peter Lynchian. I was like, Oh, rent the runway. One of my ex-girlfriends use that all the time. Like, Oh, this is great. Women love it. Like they're always like trying to do new clothes. I'm like, this is a genius idea. I got to get in on this, bought it at 19. It's just gone down. So I'm down bad in both of these. Remember, they're like 1% of my net worth, not a big deal, but that's it. Those are the two two, two stocks I own. So even I say, yeah, I say, oh, yeah, go ahead, do the follow ups.
1: Follow up one. When you were riding that to eight to 35, how close would he be like? Yo, I'm good at this shit. I am gonna
0: start picking stocks. No, yeah, no we, all all. we all been there. We all been there. Not at all. No, I,
2: I got lucky. I was like, I got lucky. This is great. I was like, I'm not selling until okay. it's a ten bagger, though. I, that's what I said. I said once it's a ten bagger, once it's at 150, I'll be like, I'm good. I think I've made my money. Okay. And I'll take my money and run. But, but Fair until enough. then, yeah. So could you
1: tell? Uh, no, the second thing is I think our listeners will love this story. Could you tell the Peter Lynch story about why you called it a Peter Lynchian trade? The renter one way. What was the Peter Lynch story was- around the pantyhose?
2: So, uh, so I don't I don't remember the exact details but I think his wife was had some pantyhose she really liked him he's like oh wow like you know these are great I'm gonna buy this because my wife told me about this just so like basically buy what you know so if you start hearing okay. about wow these are really great things you buy that's not always true the financials may not be there the market can turn against you all sorts of stuff can happen in stocks right and I just bought something that just IPO'd and you know I just said I always would buy it, no matter what it came out IPO'd I bought it that was basically it. and so yeah the joke I was like I should rename the chapter don't buy individual stocks unless you're Elon Musk or that was gonna be the joke right because then <laughs> then you can influence the price it's a little bit different than you know everyone else out there so
1: but not investment advice not not investment advice. not not securities advice any of that that not securities
2: advice definitely not do not buy those stocks so
1: (laughs) all right uh okay jack i think uh there's one very specific question you touched on it but i I did want did you want to fire up should you and when should you buy a house i think jack's a good example here
3: yeah i I mean I would love to know the answer. It remains to be seen whether uh, my decision was correct or not.
2: I think the the key thing, there's three pieces. The first is like, can you afford it? So obviously like that's a big piece of it. And I think what I say is affording is like, can you put down 20% if you're putting down less than that? I usually think it's risky. And even I'm not saying you have to put down 20%, but are you able to put down 20%? I think there's a difference because the people that can put down 20%, you know, I'm only going to put down five and take the rest in debt they'll probably be okay. The people that can't put down 20% may not be, right? Because at least you'll probably have cash or assets you could sell off to cover in case something bad were to happen. Right, right. First thing is affordability. Second thing is your personal and financial life relatively stable, right? So do you have like a stable job, right? Do you have, you know, you have decent income coming in, right? to pay for the payments, right? That's also kind of affordability. And the personal stability is like, you know, are you, you know, do you not kind of have an idea of what family size you want and all that? And you don't want to like buy a house as a single person and then have to upgrade later, right? That's usually transaction costs will up there. So, Those are the two big things. So I really think that even though I'm like, I've been a renter a long time, I'm biased against real estate for a host of reasons. I think most people end up buying. And I think it's not a question of if you buy, it's a question of when, and it's, it's figuring out the right time. So I don't think there's like a, a wrong like it's wrong to buy real estate i think that's silly i think there's just is it right for you in the time and so if you felt it was right to buy your real estate then it probably was fine you know i think that's the key is like spending time because it's a big it's probably gonna be one of the biggest financial transactions you'll ever have in your life for most people it's like yeah you're putting a most americans have a significant portion of their net worth in their uh in their house or you know or, or apartment or whatever they own so
3: yeah absolutely yep good i think um for us it was a lot to do with like Neighborhoods you want to live in in a lot of cases, nobody rents houses you know mm-hmm. like you people live there for if you want to, you know we've got a young family and uh, you want to grow up your kids to grow up around other kids that are families that are like long term uh, residents then that's like another uh, contributing factor i think lifestyle is yeah probably more than 50 percent of the c- decision comes down to what you can rent versus what you can buy um like financially speaking could you probably could you get a better return in different vehicles probably absolutely but lifestyle wise that's you know m- potentially more than half of the the decision as well so yeah good thoughts
2: yeah, to touch on the societal, there's societal reasons. You just said you'll be excluded from certain communities. You can't, there's certain, like, because people, I mean, in America, I, I think it's probably like a, people look down on renters. I mean, not saying like everyone uh, in, a, in a general way, but like renters aren't even allowed in certain neighborhoods, right? So because of that, you're going to be excluded from certain things. So whether that's certain schools they can't go to or whatnot, there's a lot of things that are, that are. it's beyond just, you know, owning the home and the financial. There's a lot of non-financial things that I try to touch on there. 100%.
0: Do you, you just find, uh, sorry no, i'm no, just gonna no. ask i've just found because i've run this obviously myself too to decide if i'm buying or not and and uh generally speaking like my family is basically in real estate so i kind of grew up with that and being like oh i have to buy a house and like most of us that's what you grow up thinking is that's the american dream or the adult dream anyway of you you find a wife or husband you have kids and you buy a house And and there's nothing wrong with that for most people but i think what changed for me is especially when i moved to new york we you just run the numbers that buying here is just insane right and like there's a lot of some of my friends are paying literally twice the amount their monthly payments for mortgage and taxes and stuff like that than they would be for renting and yeah you could say the upside is they own it and they have the equity and they're going to grow uh, in value over time but i think that's very different to buying like the way jack did in nashville or buying in most of the country where like the coast regions or the really expensive high cost of living cities uh, personally when I've run the numbers I'm like oh this is scaring the hell out of me so I just stay away from it and then I think the other factor is personally uh, I like really love the renter's bliss here like that phrase of like if some, if the roof messes up or the boiler breaks like I don't have to deal with any of that stuff but again that's a personal lifestyle choice and I can afford to do it but yeah I think that's another thing a lot of people don't always think through um when it comes to buying anyway
2: yeah, I, I'm very similar to you, Paul, uh, in that way. Like I, the return on hassle, as it's called. Um, I think Mitchell Ball yeah. had a tweet about this. Yeah, the return on hassle is just not where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to deal with the pipe. I don't even know how to do. You know, I'm not a handy person. I can't do any of that stuff. So, I mean, I know how to use basic tools, but anything beyond like an Ikea set, like, okay, that's it. I stop at Ikea furniture, anything bad past that, like count me out. So, um, but yeah, so I agree with you. I think return on hassle matters
0: let run the numbers. Trung, over to you, mate. What? No, I never, I something? never
1: heard return the hassle" before. Uh, uh, my, my only frame for and for buying a house is it's not my decision. <laughs> <laughs> my worst decision, man. Like that's it. <laughs> she wants. Listen, she wants it. Uh, she wants the house, so I'm gonna have to pony up. Like that's, I man. Jack, is there? I, I know Celia is listening here. I don't want to put you on blast, <laughs> but was this part of the calculation? I mean, I didn't have a. I'm not gonna have a choice. That's what. I, that's all I'm saying, man. It, it's.
3: A, it, this is a collaboration for sure
0: <laughs> Jack, jack's face wow zoom into the face there, Editor, please. <laughs> no, it's, it's,
3: it's, right. uh like yeah it's uh we spent so much time in circumstances uh that we did disliked and uh been watching this place for a long time right place came out just gotta do it mate
1: yeah fair enough man i uh I've shipped my, well, my wife and I have had a lot of long distance, Asia, United States, Canada, a lot of this stuff is like, I kind of owe it to her. So fair enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad about it, but uh, other, that's my last thought on the real estate. Do you guys have any more? I got a couple more from this book, some good points from the We've book.
3: Got a that's going to be in, in Vancouver, right? trunk We could do a whole segment. That's going to be a that's different day be on from- the Vancouver real estate
0: market. But- <laughs> from oh, means yeah. to Mansion is going to be the next segment for <laughs> Trang exactly. when you buy the house.
1: White might need Nick to run the numbers on the Vancouver possibility because they looks pretty slim right now.
3: <laughs> you just White. need a 300% return for the next four years. <laughs> you should be all right.
1: And I'm good. Right. All right, here we go. Uh, so Nick from your book, uh, I'm just going to keep reminding him and you guys know, just keep buying people just keep buying. That's the name of the book. I keep God. buying
0: that book more like. Just get yeah, over there, there order the that right now. Wait, Nick, are you doing the audible?
1: Are you doing the audible? Are you
2: going to read it? no I did. We, we hired a professional to do bro, bro, you we got to read your own book.
0: Should have Trump to do it, man. No. That would have been. Can you imagine <laughs> Trump reading that?
1: <laughs> standing desk <laughs> <laughs> Okay, hold on. Just. Yes. Okay, hold on. I agree here with Bilal. Three things. If you're not going to read it, you need to add. Ask David Goggins to read it. If David Goggins will read it, I'll read it. So let's run that through, man. Whoever you hired, fire them. But uh all right, here we go. The one thing, so obviously, you'll know this as a writer now. Uh, a big thing with writing is having ideas assigned to you, right? Oh, this guy came up with this idea, right? I think this one's gonna stick. I'm sure you blogged about before. The 2x rule. Can you explain what the 2x rule is and how hard are you trying to make this stick? Can we have hats made?
2: So so I didn't I came up with this rule and i've heard other people i know jay-z has said this thing which i found out about later i wasn't trying to i am trying to trust me i'll i credit jay-z when he gives me ideas like he has given me financial ideas we're not going to get into all that right now but the 2x rule someone said like oh if you can't afford it twice or if you want something mm-hmm. nice you have to be able to afford it twice or something there's some rhyme there but basically the idea is if you're gonna if you want to splurge on, i'm trying to get rid of your spending go, right a lot of times people like feel guilty about spending money on themselves i'm like we need to get over that and so here's how you do it If you're going to spend a lot of money on something, I don't know what, if every person is different, some person might be a nice watch for another person it might be a nice dinner, whatever it is, if you're going to spend X dollars, just save another X or two X of that and take that other X and either invest it in some sort of income producing assets or something that you think is going to preserve your wealth over time or donate it you know there's different there's different ways you can do this right to kind of get rid of your spending guilt so if you're going to save 300 dollars, nope save 600 and take the other 300 and, and either invest it or donate or something like that i think that's a way to get over spending guilt so how I hope long it have you been doing it. it takes off
1: how long have you been doing it for to... a while now?
2: So I do it for a while, probably like three or four years now, I think I've been doing it. So almost anytime I, I do something that's not normal, like not my normal spending habits, you know, like, okay. not like oh, every time I go to a restaurant, because I go to restaurants, that's like my thing. I like going out a lot to eat. Um, but if I do anything, like I get a nice watch or I buy a nice pair of shoes, I will save double and then have to invest that. So
0: That's a what, good rule.
1: What was yeah. the very first one you did?
2: I'm trying to think, I think I bought a pair of dress shoes for like $300, like Allen Edmonds or something. And I just put another $300, 300, 400 bucks. Can't remember the exact price now, but it's something like that, where I put it. A- cause I'm like, I wanted to, I cause I was getting these cheap dress shoes off Amazon for like 60 bucks and they kept dying every nine months. I'm like, I might as well spend like, I had spent like over $400 on these fake ones over like two, three years. I'm like, why don't I just get real ones and just have them like, you know, resole them. I'm like, okay, this makes more sense. So I actually invested in my, sh- in my shoes. And so it's so I still have those. So hey,
3: Nick, the- I just got an idea why you're talking about that. <laughs> Yeah, you need an app. So every time someone, every time someone buys something, it automatically, you could call it index fund.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness, guys, this is this is live. Just Jack Butcher just framing Alpha.
3: Just, is Jack just throwing <laughs>
1: Alpha.
2: Does someone else do it? Doesn't want to deal. Something with it Let me, Let, that. Get... Let me catch some of that. Let me
1: catch of that Alpha. Index fund. fun Listeners, oh my goodness Nick, Rich Whole Wealth, you're welcome Alright, you're welcome, there you guys
0: go Also Nick, I want to hear what other uh, Business or investment advice you've got from Jay-Z Apart from I'm not a businessman I'm a businessman Are there any others that come to mind? Great because question. Yeah, there is
2: a there is an idea I didn't want to discuss it so much today, so we won't get into it too much. But in uh, there's a there's a song between Kanye and Jay called uh, you know N words in Paris for lack of a better term. And so in the song he says, "What's 50 grand to a motherfucker like me?" Please remind me. That's what he says. I'm sorry if I cursed or do I need to not maybe? No, no fine, wait, it's the uh, Na, man. Okay, I, just is, make, we okay, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm <laughs> no, sorry. I had okay. to just I had to give the the lyrics. So at the time when he said that, he was worth about 500 million dollars. So that's like one basis point of his wealth. And so I was like, oh, that's like a trivial like, what's it? What's it to me? It's so please, Ryan. It's like it's trivial. So I said, like, what if we use that to like anyone's wealth, right? And so I think one basis point, zero point zero one percent of your wealth, is a trivial amount, and you can use that to think about like wealth levels. And right. So eventually I'm going to write more on this. I've only written one post on it, but I think I eventually want to kind of write a longer mm-hmm. form piece on this, but basically that piece of investment advice, or just that piece of financial advice, where he's like, he was talking about triviality of money. And I think like, wow, that actually matters because like the triviality of your spending decisions goes up by like log- logarithms. And right. It's like, Someone who has 10000 dollars like has a, maybe one dollar trivial to them, but someone with a hundred thousand, it's ten bucks. And so that might not seem like a much one to ten dollars isn't that much, but the amount of wealth you have to get to, to make that yeah. jump is 10x, right? And so to go from a ten dollar to a hundred dollars trivial, you have to go from ten or a hundred thousand to a million. So you have to keep 10xing every time. And so that's why I think wealth levels can kind of be like logarithmic in that, you know, orders of 10 basically. So it's a kind of a fun idea, like a wealth mm. ladder. And so I think I'll probably get into that, more that. in got the it. future. Well, yeah. I got
1: I got one question, one comment. So the first question is this, the shoes that you did the 2X rule on. So for listeners, the 2X rule is if you're going to splurge on something, you should assign the same dollar value to charity or investment, right? So remove the guilt. Those pairs of shoes, did you walk into your first Ritz Holt interview with them? (laughs)
2: no no i don't think i did i was wearing a different <laughs> pair at the time i don't have okay. i was wearing a pair of boots actually i was wearing a pair of boots believe it or not so like in a dress i was like wearing like a dress stuff but it was like raining so i had to wear boots so i think i remember correctly Yeah, i was wearing okay. like a dress pants in a suit and I, mean, I haven't worn a suit since they don't, they're not about that so okay amazing
1: well i've seen josh <laughs> yeah. brown man He he's a he's a cool cat he ain't wearing that yeah, suit yeah. right yeah right, so, we,
2: we ain't wearing suits so
1: beautiful so my comment was uh, uh n words in pairs um this is not necessarily related to the wealth thing, but uh, they came to Vancouver in 2011. It's the greatest concert okay. I've ever been to. <laughs> they played N Words in
0: Paris 11 six times. Weekend. Oh, 11, 11 times. Wow, I remember oh they were doing goodness. it at minimum of six. I was gonna say this, we could do a whole episode on Jay Z's investment advice from his songs. I no, mean, we they, should. I, I, I've got a few in my head, but we'll uh, yeah, we I'll keep. The genius levels are wrapped in my head for now the dumbo one the if jump, you guys yeah. are thinking yeah. that one <laughs> yeah. and then the Put other on one dumbo, i yeah. used to love was more of a sales thing but it was like uh i sell ice in the winter i sell fire and hell i'm a hustler baby i sell water to a well i mean yeah. that is <laughs> i mean that's not really investment advice but it's that is uh, that's the vibe man anyway that's life,
1: that's life advice that's life advice that's, bro. that's
0: life advice exactly all right um i think we had a few more to to go through on the book right wrong
1: yeah, actually, I could jump. Uh, this one is more. It's not necessarily a. Th- uh, well, actually, this might be the framing of this was really smart. You called it the time travel question, right? Like, if you're a time mm-hmm. traveler and you can only assign a single, like, you go back in time and the only thing you could do is tell your whatever your younger self or an older you. Well, you you'll tell the story, but you basically give one advice, right? Like, you can only say one thing or one theme. Uh, is that the the premise? Because I love this yeah. thought experiment. Yeah,
2: you kind of you imagine you're you have to like give yourself a set you have to give yourself a set of financial instructions to follow at some yeah. point in the past and the world isn't like perfectly deterministic. So like, let's say you go back to 1976. That doesn't mean Apple's going to make it out of the garage. You go back to 1929, maybe the great depression doesn't happen. So you can't like market time perfectly. Right. But let's just say the world behaves similarly. It's just the events may not go exactly as you planned. So like if you given that information, what set of instructions would you give yours, give to yourself to maximize the probability of you just like reaching your financial goals, not trying to be a billionaire, not trying to be just like, you want to reach your financial goals, have a decent financial life. What would you do? And I said like the book for me, this book, these are the instructions. Like i know nothing about you right? i have no priors about you i'm handing instructions to you and like this is it if i did to say like what works across most periods most of history diversify and producing assets etc that's it for most people most of the time there's always going to be exceptions but that's that's my takeaway there
1: that's so. like the uh that's like the version you know john Rawlsville's of ignorance is like you have to mm-hmm. set up the rules for the world as if mm-hmm. uh you had to exist by them so like, how mm-hmm. would you want a world constructed if mm-hmm. uh, you didn't know how you were placed, right? If you're born in sub-Saharan Africa, you're born in uh, a poor part of Southeast Asia. Uh, this is kind of like this, right? These are the general principles that are very mm-hmm. applicable to, across all time. Would you say all time, though? Are we sure this is I mean, across a I, I Well,
2: within the last, you know, within modern era, right? Obviously okay. before the investment, you know, back in the 1500s, we didn't have investment markets. You couldn't do that. So this is yeah. within modern era when we had okay. public markets, when assuming everyone could participate, obviously there's racism in the, for most of history, like you right. know, women couldn't participate. So there's a lot of things that are conditional. That's not true, but I'm saying today, like yeah. no no one is being not allowed to buy, you know, once you're 18, once you're an adult, any adult can buy public equities or buy investments, right? And so I think no one is taken out of that. I push stocks because there is discrimination in, you know, if you're selling a house trunk and I'm like, you know what, I don't like people from Canada. I can just, you know, discriminate against you. Right. Or something. I mean, we obviously wouldn't be doing this U S Canada, but you get my point, right? People can discriminate against people, but when you're, when you're selling up, you know, an index fund or buying an index fund, I don't know who I'm buying from or selling from. There's no way I can discriminate. So for me, I think that's why I like index funds a lot because any sort of like individual characteristics which have been used for discrimination across history can't be used against people. And I think that's why like you, you're not going to take a cut like build, building wealth doing that. So that's why I always, I support index funds and, and public Isn't technically
1: crypto the ultimate censorship resistant though? Like what are your thoughts yeah. on that? I mean, there's, about- I
2: mean, it's also similar, similar in that way. I mean, it's also similar. I mean, I guess like, I guess a custodian could be like, "Oh, we're not going to give you an account here because of this or so that." That's possible. I agree with that. So crypto is like that, that way where you could kind of get around that as well. So it's even more, it's even more, I guess, egalitarian in who can purchase.
1: All right. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I just want to, I'll share with my guys. If you guys want to share the one tip you did, so uh-huh. I would take a piece of paper back to 1985 when I was born. Uh-huh. I go into the Calgary Foothills Hospital where my parents are giving, or my mom's giving birth to me. I would just hand my young self a piece of paper, and on it is one word. Come rocket.
0: <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. I wasn't I wasn't ready for that one. That was a throwback. Damn, trunk. Oh my god. Good. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> that is a terrible idea reference. that is
2: the work your mother's gonna get that piece of paper and say what type of, i just gave birth this is the most she's gonna crumple it. if you put dogecoin she might have kept it but you had to go and yeah. use something loose she's gonna say this is disgusting and she'll never think of it again and that'll be the end of it
0: so
1: well that, that future billionaire gone mom what are you doing come on that asset was just sitting there all you have to do is wait 37 years and he could have been a billionaire
0: <laughs> all right, sorry, nick guys. so you nick you you've <laughs> talked about not buying individual stocks um and uh some of the other stuff about not buying a dip and you've kind of touched on yeah, in the book you've got a whole chapter on what you should invest in we've just talked about index funds could mm-hmm. you go into a little bit more specifics around that like your approach to that or your advice given all the research you've done yeah so i can't
2: give specific tickers for compliance reasons so i try not to do i shouldn't even Brought the individual stocks, obviously. No, I'm not remember member. This is not <laughs> yeah, investment yeah. advice. But um, I will say, like, I just diversify. I obviously own a, US, a broad basket of U.S. stocks. I own the developed markets. I own emerging markets. I own REITs, which are just real estate investment trusts. So you're basically owning real estate without owning physical real estate. You just own it through a company, which manages a lot of commercial and um, and uh, residential properties, things like that. And so well, there's a lot more stuff out there, right? You can be like, oh, I want to get into royalties. I want to get into farmland. I want to own small businesses. You start getting into private deals, things like that. There's a lot of things you can buy. I, those ones are just the easiest because you can anyone with a brokerage account can do it. So it's the easiest, lowest hassle way to kind of get into investing is owning a lot of these and I really push for, push for diversification because, you know, yes, the U S has beaten international markets from 2010 onward, but look at the decade before that 2000, 2009 U S underperformed emerging markets, right. U S underperformed developed markets. So it's one of those things where, you know, you don't, you have no idea what the future holds. And I'm not saying that the U S isn't going to be on top again. I have no clue, but I'd rather, you know, take a little bit of a hedge and, you know, they say, you Oh, you, they say, you know, concentrate to get rich, diversify to stay rich. That's a very common yeah. phrase, but the, my, my counter to that is, well, how rich do you need to be if you're trying to become a billionaire yes there's no way just keep buying is going to make you a billionaire unless your income is just unless like you're the rock and you're making you know, a couple hundred million dollars a year it's not going to happen right just no offense it's not going to happen but I'm saying for most people, how rich do you need to be? Really, I think most people can live a decent financial life without having to do that. And I think you can do that through diversification because diversification is going to give you the peace of mind to keep going, right? Versus like having everything in. Imagine you had most of your money. Let's say you're Russian and you have most of your money in Russian stocks, and they go down eighty percent in two weeks, you'd panic. You would absolutely. I mean, outside of what's going on in your personal life, that would just destroy you. So diversification matters the russian investors that had some crypto assets or had some international assets somewhere they're going to be much better off than the people who had most of their money in russian stocks right so
0: got it and then and just in terms of like the asset allocation between them again you can't give specifics but is there any guidance on like how people should think about that at least or different uh approaches that people take to that
2: Yeah, I say find some level of risk you want to take. So, like, I used to be like 15% bonds, and I'm basically, I think I'm like. 10% 10% now, but it's like, it doesn't matter that much. I don't think the specifics matter as much as I'm mean, of course asset allocation matters. Don't get me wrong. But I think if we're looking at like these specific little tiny tweaks, that's probably not going to matter. I don't think it's gonna be like, Oh, I could have made it to my perfect life, but I just, cause I had 15% bonds at a 10%. I didn't make like, I don't think that's it. You're either going to be much past the finish line or you're not going to be close at all. I think it's very, it's like one of those things, like, you know, the guys that work out in the gym, like, Oh, I got, I got hit my max. Like, when are you going to use exactly like max 275? Like either a train's going to fall on you, you're not going to be able to lift it, and you're going to be dead, or you're going to be like lifting like something very light. Like there's, when you exactly need that exact amount of strength, it's never going to happen, right? It's either you're way past it or you're way under it, right? And that's how I think about financial stuff too. So yeah, in the book, enough. but that's just kind of my take on it. Yeah, so.
0: And then, and then I just had one last question on that. Um, is, you, you mentioned earlier about um, income producing assets and in mm-hmm. stocks, there's obviously... Um, dividend stocks right and if you buy a business there's um income that comes from that um i'm again coming back to that crypto part because obviously a lot of people listen to this interest in that and that is we we only talked a little bit about bitcoin earlier um obviously now with ethereum the number two crypto asset there's an argument to be made that is a income producing asset if you're staking it like actually Mm -hmm. natively staking it you can basically earn about five to six percent right now Uh, that might fluctuate in the next year, given the ETH2 merge. Um, I'm curious now, like from your point of view, seeing that as something to invest in that could actually generate legitimate income, um, would that change potentially? What would it take to change your mind around like oh i'm only going to put two to five percent to actually now this is a lot more attractive i'm going to go up to 10 20 or something like that um, because even hearing people like kevin is it kevin o'leary the shark tank dude who's like mm-hmm. you know he's old school in many ways he was very anti-crypto and when he saw he could actually stake uh, ethereum uh, that is one of the big thing that kind of pushed him over the edge and now you can actually value that based on income the way you do other assets so curious if you've got any thoughts on that
2: yeah. So I I didn't discuss staking in the book as much. I think it's a more complex topic, but my thinking on this is like, everyone that was talking about staking, staking's great, all this, all that. Back last year in late 2021, staking was great, right? And imagine you started staking at the end of 2021, right? You're a stake for a few months, let's say, right? You're staking an asset, right? You're like, oh, look, I'm getting, let's say I'm not going to use Ethereum, which 5%, let's say you're getting 10, 20% return on this asset, right? You're staking it, but then the asset declines by 50% in value over the course of the next few months. It's like, okay, I got 20% annualized by a lot, like the underlying declines all right. Versus like your, your cash, like the underlying, yes, it's going to decline by inflation, which it can still be a decent amount in certain years, but you're not going to have that volatility. So my, I just don't understand it as well. So I don't understand the risks there. And I think the risks are you stake this thing and then the underlying falls enough. So you're like, yes, you're getting some income, but, the, what you get back is worth less than what you competing. put in, right? And so I think with staking... So the, my whole thing about income-producing assets, I'm not saying you have to put 2 5%. My whole thing is like, try to have 85 to 90% of your net worth in income-producing assets because at some point, there's a fundamental weight there to like... To income, right? Like imagine a suitcase with $50,000 in it, right? Or $100,000 in it. And someone telling you, oh, you know, I think it's only worth, you know, 150 or 200. No no matter what the price is, that's going to move around. We know there's $100,000 in that suitcase. That's fundamental. That's earnings. That's weight. There's something there. Now, obviously, with, with other things like art, with gold, with obviously crypto as well, I'm not sure if the value there is is as tangible. And I'm not saying, of course, I'm not an expert on crypto, so I'm gonna be, but I own some, because I am because I don't know, right? I don't know, it's good. And I see there's value in the Ethereum ecosystem, like people building stuff on that, or all the layer twos and stuff on top of that. Like, I understand all that. There's definitely value there. So I think what we're thinking of as value is a little different because it's 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 a new asset where it's a completely new world. So I'm gonna be honest and say, I'm not an expert here. And so because of that, I say like, hey, don't put like you know 50, 100% of your net worth in this if you don't know. And so if you're someone who is an expert in this, that's fine. And you want to take those risks that's fine but like the prices fluctuate a lot i think that's the scary part i, don't, I just completely. don't know until you've seen your well if you've seen your wealth decline by 50 percent multiple times in um crypto and you're fine with that then you're probably okay to stomach that but some people couldn't and they may sell out or do something crazy and so imagine all the people that bought bitcoin at sixty nine thousand and sold at 30 those are the people i'm trying to prevent from doing completely. those types of things yeah
0: so and no i think that's a completely fair point of view man and i think that's Smart for most people. And the only thing I would say, and again, we don't have to go into this too much, is there are now things like stable coins, obviously, where they are tied to the US dollar. And there's basically two different types there's collateralized ones where they're backed by dollars like USDC um, and apparently Tether, but we all know that's probably not the case. <laughs> and then there's things like al- algorithmic stable coins like Terra, is the one that has really um, popped off in the last. Year anyway, and that one actually allows you to keep your asset the underlying amount the same because it's a stable coin and still earn in this early adopter stage because it's incentivized 19 20% um, on that. But again, there's obviously risk with all these things, right? Like it could lose its peg, the whole thing could go to shit. So that's definitely not investment advice. But I, I, mm-hmm. even for me, it's been quite interesting for me as being someone who's like very risk averse to having some of those things drop dramatically to being like open to, oh, this is actually an interesting new application of it. Um, so that might be something you might like checking out at, at some point as well.
2: Yeah, I think I'm, gonna, I'm definitely getting more interested in crypto, especially as I met people and seeing the amount of smart people in the space. I trust yeah. me. I was, I was, I was a very skeptical person on the space initially. You know, I thought it was obviously mostly speculation as I met more people, like there's a lot of market stuff and market innovations out there. Like you start. Listening to these people and what they're doing in markets and how they're getting liquidity and pools, and you start getting into it's like very complex. I don't fully understand all of it, to be honest with you. But like I think there's more value here than what a lot what I initially believed. And so I'm gonna admit I'm a little ignorant on some of these issues, but I'm open to learning more and kind of learning about this stuff. And yeah, with the USDC or something that's backed by dollars, and like you know, you have a company that's basically backing that, like, yeah, whatever yield that is, that's like an income producing asset. It's more like a bond, but it is an income producing asset yeah. of sort. So I wouldn't say like all crypto is the same. It obviously varies in what exactly we're talking about, but Um, In that case, then, yeah, you could have a significant, you know, uh, stablecoin allocation instead of having, let's say, you know, U.S. bonds. Obviously, I think U.S. bonds are probably safer than a stablecoin for a host of reasons because the government could just print the money. But, you know, we can we can debate that. Those can be. Bilal
1: versus Nick coming
0: up, boys. (laughs) Three
1: hour extravaganza.
0: (laughs) No, that was good. No, thanks for sharing that, Nick. Trang, I know you had something else there, mate.
1: Yeah, actually, I had one more point that I wanted to bring up. It wasn't related to the book. So before mm-hmm. I get into this point, uh, because I do have to boogie after bringing up to pick up my kid, is uh, so listeners, viewers, just keep buying uh, Amazon Audible yep. soon, but not his voice. So that's a little <laughs> bit disappointing. Uh, guest,
0: guest read read Loggins. by a strong fan. What, what,
1: what, what I will say is amazing. The chapters are done so well. I mean, you you pointed out in the introduction, but like you don't have to... This is one of those things where you got to sit... The, front to back. The first half is about savings, second half is about investing. So wherever you are on that path, you know, pick these uh chapter titles. They're man, as as a writer, me, like I call myself a writer. Man, these these clickbait chapters, man, they're done really well. Not in a bad way, but Thank like you. like it's like why should you invest? I'm like that that sounds like an interesting chapter. Let me read that. <laughs> and then like chapter 20 why you will never feel rich. I'm like, Oh, that, that feels like me too. So I mean, it's very, <laughs> where we're very well, uh, uh organized, man. I, I'm sure Appreciate you put it. a lot of thought into Thank it. You. But, Thank uh, you guys. So my last, uh, uh, not necessarily a question, but it was more around of all your blogs that I've read. And the one that has resonated with me the most is, uh, your one about drinking. Cause mm-hmm. I, I had, uh, so Nick has a, a piece about uh, how he had a dependency on alcohol. And, uh, I had a very similar one where, uh, basically tell us 25 or 26 is like, I couldn't have fun. I couldn't go out socially without getting absolutely blackout. And like, I was blacking out in, uh, from universe, probably 15 to 25, blacking out one or two times a week, like legit mm-hmm. blackouts. And, uh, mm-hmm. dude, that resonated, man is like, uh, I, how did you get over that? And like, how are you managing now with alcohol?
2: I think it's always a struggle. I mean, I, I, I originally wrote a post on drinking, i um, called just one more. And it was about, you know, I'm like out with friends and I said, you know, 85% of my drinking experiences were positive. I enjoyed them. I didn't always black out and that was great. I was like, I had a good time. I didn't necessarily get a hangover, but it was those 15% of times where I was, you know, okay, I can have one more. I had two here. I can have another here. It's like, it's that marginal decision doesn't feel that bad, but when you do it over the course of six hours, that marginal decision adds yeah. up. And the next, you know, you're like drunk and you're calling people and just, you know, had conversation, with my friend 15, minutes don't remember it happening like random stuff wake up yeah No, that, 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 yeah. i actually i don't text much thankfully i usually just call like i'm somehow like i don't get on twitter i'm like once i get like blackout I like because i know like i'm gonna cancel myself or some stuff yeah. so, like get away from my phones so i'll call people so i'll be like talking to people like this is traceable. screw you know whatever hang up the phone but um that's kind of how i think about it it's just like it's always a struggle for me and I'm guessing you probably had similar things. And so I've just had to try and implement systems to kind of get over that. And so for me now, that's like, I don't drink Sunday to Thursday. I just really don't do it. You know? So that, that helps me a lot. So Friday, I can still go out Friday, Saturday and kind of get that out of my system and enjoy and be social, but at the same time I can, you know, reduce my total alcohol consumption. So
1: the, the one thing I, the last thing I add on that is, uh, I didn't drink caffeine until I was 28, which is insane. Mm-hmm. And now I just drink it religiously. Um, if I just swapped out caffeine for alcohol in university, I'd be like a road scholar, or probably billionaire right now. <laughs> Maybe not, but I threw away like a good 35 years of my life because of alcohol. So I, I, all I'd mm-hmm. say is like uh, to Nick's uh, blog uh, and, and writing around it is like, you know, it's, it's important to understand your relationship to alcohol because uh, mm-hmm. that's the first step, right? I mean, there obviously people are way further in, in worse situations, but yeah, man, those that, that one really resonated with me.
2: I appreciate that thank you
1: how about how about Bilal and jack here? any thoughts uh, i know you guys were uh, partying back in the day we never got to uh, uh
0: two, t- two brits here man so <laughs> 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 um no i think it's cool man i think it's cool that that you've created like the guardrails. and i think as you get older especially i think it's different when you're 21 or 20 at college like you can handle just a lot more like beyond just drinking just in general like even socializing like i'm an extrovert i used to socialize every day of the week like happily completely fine and now i'm like i still like to do that a lot but i need to like create guard roles to be like i need to conserve my energy i need to focus on the things that are most important uh, obviously still have fun and do the things you want to do but i think that's something as you get to thir- in your 30s and you wake up like i just woke up and i'm like why have i got this pain in my side what, what's going on here it's three days well i had to stretch it out i was doing yoga before this you know so it's like um like that's the sort of stuff that you that definitely compounds and i think the way you said it there like just one more is not just with drinking it's like but especially with drinking it could be with a lot of other vices we all have and uh yes yeah, so i think that's cool man i think it's good just to have a plan around how you're gonna manage it anyway
1: the hangovers are so bad in your 30s oh, it's God. unbelievable it's unbelievable <laughs>
0: Yeah, see so you at Joe's Pizza at 4 a.m. there, Nick, right down yeah, uh, where you live. So, exactly, um, yeah. I know, uh, actually, Jack, you... Uh, oh, he's got a nice little... He's <laughs> some Lego push. boys. Yeah. <laughs> Stay out of the pub. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Jack, but I know you, if you don't mind talking about it, I know you had stopped drinking for a while at one yeah. point, right? And I don't yeah. know if... Um, like it sounded like you just wanted to give it a break or something, but that was something you were consciously trying to... Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of it
3: was like trying to put extra work in in the gym or like putting like spending so much conscious effort on nutrition and then like going and drinking ten pints. So reversing what, what it. Yeah. You points. know <laughs> what I mean? Like you like moderation would have been a better strategy than I have like kind of an extreme personality in that respect. Yeah, so you know, I would like if I'm gonna do the thing, I wanna just do it. Like the moderation component I've definitely gotten better with it. Um and there are natural forces that come into play, like having a one-year-old and having to get up at seven o'clock in the morning, like you don't, you know, there's, there are responsibilities that you must meet later in life. I think like for me, definitely over, um, the last couple of years, pandemic stuff, like when I was consulting on the road, doing the corporate thing, and it's like people cracking beers at two o'clock on a Monday afternoon because you like finished a PowerPoint presentation. It's like, celebration we, maybe time. We, we just need to scale we need to scale back on what merits a celebration here and, oh definitely yeah uh, that, that i think just uh yeah time is a I, I never had a significant problem with it but i could definitely get carried away and uh i'm scaling back you know i'm also you know i found out i'm actually allergic to beer to oh my god that.
1: that's an asian thing man that's an asian thing we don't have the, it's like some uh...
3: digestive thing where i can drink it but like, well, i don't sleep I don't like if I if I drink like two beers uh, and I just get a shitty night's sleep. I recently got the uh, Aura ring to yeah, track yeah. sleep. It
0: and, terrifies uh, you
3: every morning after after it, drinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I uh, I recently made the switch to uh, tequila. I'm having a, mm. a much better experience with the the tequila nice. than I was on beer. So uh, find out what works for you. And then I think a lot of it is like moderation. Like, do you? Um, like, what are you prepared to give up for the evening that you're having? Like, is it a situation where you'd be happy to, like, sacrifice a full day of work and family time? And, and more often than not, not the case. But, uh, yeah, like, full elimination didn't work for me. And uh don't think I'll I'll go back there, but, you know, we'll see.
0: Dude, thanks for sharing definitely that, was man. happening in the euros man i mean no, <laughs> we talked know, about that's... it on this podcast you you i don't know nick if you saw this the way the english were behaving during the euro <laughs> uh football i mean
2: like i've been I to loved... amsterdam once oh, okay. a bunch of english people so i've seen i've yeah. seen <laughs> people throw bikes into the river and i've yeah. like, seen things
0: so. yeah yeah not the best, fun, fun, not uh, the best representation really best man yeah, yeah. yeah um anyway thanks for sharing that Nick and exactly. guys I think we can I think trying you're gonna have to run in a second as well and we yeah, we're of no, time perfect, so this, Thanks, was Nick, this, this was amazing Nick this really Thank appreciate you guys for
2: having me on appreciate that. Appreciate you taking fam. time, thanks man. Thanks for coming. Of course, man. I look forward to it. So yeah, just let me know when you guys want to post, whatever. I'll help promote. Obviously, is normal and just kind of keep me updated.
0: Um, anyway, thanks for listening again, and uh, thanks for being there, Nick. We appreciate you. Na, fam, go support uh, and buy a copy, uh, buy a gift for your friends, and let us know what you think of the book. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week for the next one. Cheers, everyone.